It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with Jeremy Cade, and on today's show, we're going to get an update with Brew McKenrick, founder and creator of the hugely ambitious APT, or American Perimeter Trail Project. This trail system will be roughly 12,000 miles long and will navigate the literal perimeter of the continental U.S. Joining us also, we have Layla Grace, coordinator for the American Perimeter Trail Project. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for having so, us. How have you been since we last spoke? I heard you on another podcast talking about the weather has just been atrocious, but that seems to have turned, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the I, I, I wish I would have kept track of like the 24 hour periods of time where it wasn't raining or thunderstorming there was even some snow in there but i there was a, it wasn't unlike other springs in southern appalachians that i've spent before um and then also like sticking to the social distancing and social isolating i mean that kind of assured that up pretty quickly and uh that's definitely turned and uh, I would just say that's just been a challenge as far as having wet feet for weeks at a time. Like they don't even dry out at night. So I had a lot of times where the skin was just rolling off. Oh, and, then, and then recently it just turned from freezing cold to, uh, to really hot. And I had a rough week uh, with some serious dehydration issues. But um, I'm taking a couple of days off and, and uh, we're managing that. And, I, you know, I hadn't realized until... Um, just yesterday that it had been since February since I'd taken a day off. So. Wow. Yeah, you need that. Uh, that's uh, on a lot of levels, I think, uh, a way of feeding yourself and preparing yourself for getting back out there. You're right. So you were traveling through uh, which areas over the last couple months? So essentially, um, the Appalachian Trail, which I was not always certain that I was going to use it or not. I knew I was going to use sections of it, and I also knew that I was going to use this section coming into Franklin County. But um, other than that, I wanted to explore some other areas and ways of traversing the Appalachians across the eastern seaboard. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And then with the event of COVID-19, the decision was made for me because the Appalachian Trail Conservancy asked everyone to cancel their through hikes and to stop through hiking if they were. So I never made it onto the Appalachian Trail. I came up the Penhody Trail in Alabama. Uh, from there, I went on the Cumberland Trail in Tennessee. And then, and these aren't like exact because the trails aren't complete. They're not continuous. So they're in segments. So I had to piece together a lot of it. Um, and then from there, uh, I mean, m my footpath stayed or my trek stayed continuous but I had to jump from trail to trail and then sometimes road walk. And from there I went to the Pine Mountain Trail through Kentucky um, and then onto the Allegheny Trail through West Virginia up to, I'm like right at the Pennsylvania border. So do you have a single source for maps? Because I know for the Michelle Forest here, uh, a map maker up in State College laid out pretty much everything that's out there. And Without that local knowledge, you're gonna you're gonna have a tough time, you know, following these trails. So, do you source local maps for these areas? Well, I, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and, you know, Layla's handled some of this, so I'm gonna like let her answer a bit of that. I've spent a lot of time on the Great Eastern Trail website and 
linking to their map sources from there to get him what existing maps are out there. But as Ruth said, he's been piecing a lot together. So even as I've been looking at what's existing in the trail systems, there just aren't maps on all of that. That's been a really, really big struggle to try to get him some type of map. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That also being said is keep in mind that I'm not hitching to resupplies. I've been walking to resupplies, which means I have to make a route to the resupply and then back out as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's no possibility anyone's ever taken the route that I, that I came up, but parts of it people have, but it's just not going to be exactly the same. And are you using any kind of, because one thing I'm really curious about your adventure is your caloric intake. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that. I mean, do you have it pretty much sorted? You know you're burning X amount of calories a day. Like, for instance, I've got my uh, fitness tracker on my Apple Watch, which tells me, you know, in a given event, how many calories I burned and would thus tell me, you know, what I need to replace. Are you using anything similar to that? No, I'm not. I mean, I, I actually don't have any numbers for you. I mean, I just because it's so varied. This past week, uh, like I said, I had some dehydration and I was ill. So I think, uh, so the caloric uh, per day, um, per whatever, 20 some miles, uh, one Snickers bar. Get out of here. No, are you I'm, kidding I'm, me? I'm not kidding you for about five. How are you alive? No, that's the thing. The question is, how am I alive? So, I mean, for probably five days. I mean, I was lucky I wasn't hospitalized. I was very ill. So, and so on Layla, on your end, I mean, what are you trying to supply him with? I mean, a Snickers bar is a good burst of sugar and fats. But are you kind of trying to plan for these long days he has? I do. So I mail a resupply box about once a week. And in that goes... Chicken packets, tuna packets, pro bars, dried almonds, almond butter, corn tortillas, usually a couple Snickers bars, dried fruits, beef jerky, and then sometimes there's dehydrated hummus, sometimes there's dehydrated refried beans, there's other, some de like dehydrated pasta meals occasionally, other things that I've been able to toss together and then some type of, whether it's dried fruit or freeze-dried fruits, and that's about it. It's always kind of a guess on my part. I know approximately, like, how much food I think I should be sending him, and he's never gotten back to me and said he's hungry, and we haven't had too many instances of too much food, and then I, I usually try to throw some other treats in there. So there's yeah. coffee packets, there's hot chocolate that goes in there, there's... Uh, you know, candy that my kids like to send, uh, sometimes like a, a muffin or something that I know that's going to be fine to sit in a box mm -hmm. for a few days. But I'm not actually counting calories or anything. I'm relying on Rue to tell me, you know, I, I'm starting to eat a little bit more. I'm going to need a few more things in there. Now, Rue, when you were on, because you're a triple crown uh, hiker, on any other hikes, was this your same approach to nutrition? Just kind of let the body tell you? No, absolutely not. I mean, this is a response to COVID-19. So, I mean, I came up with a methodology about two and a half months ago, which means I eat out of post office boxes only. So I haven't had a hot meal, a shower, laundry, a stay over, anything in months. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, basically since the last time I spoke with you all. So, 
Yeah, no, I mean, this definitely was not the same approach. This has been uh, a beast of necessity rather than anything. So it wouldn't be the way that I typically do things. I think it would be important to supplement um, all dried food and backpacking food with fresh food. And commonly during, commonly during you know, the Triple Crown, uh, people would always comment on how much fresh food I was carrying with me because it's heavy. But I, I didn't mind. I would carry a bunch of produce with me and meats and uh, cheeses and things that people would feel like would spoil, but I never had an, had an issue with it. So no, it's not the same approach. It's just because um, we've limited my contact with towns. So uh, I haven't been going into stores and I haven't been going to restaurants. And so it's, it's really just that. And when this changes, Pete, then, uh, then that'll change as well. So... Yeah. And it does seem like things are starting to open up. I can't speak to the, some of the states that you've been through, but I know here in Pennsylvania, we're slowly moving out of lockdown. Are you feeling like that can change? Like you can go into town and you can interact with other hikers or what, what changes do you see coming as we open up again? So as far as the interaction with other hikers, I haven't had to worry about that because there hasn't been any. So the last time... I hiked or um, backpacked with anyone was in California. So that hasn't been like a concern as far as social distancing. And the thing is like, I hope that will change, but I'm not there yet. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. Like, you know, everyone's trying to make judgments around this as best as they can. And so um, as things change, then I will change my behavior. But I mean, I've had to change my route almost weekly. I continue to do that. And, you know, Pete, I just make the decisions as best as I can for the, for my health and for others' health. And also, like, you know, there's consideration as well beyond this as far as there are expectations from uh, contributors and also sponsors as far as my behavior and what, you know, I ethically have said I would do or made promises towards. So there's an integrity piece there as well that I'm trying to stick you know, to my word as best as I can. And as things change, we'll just kind of see what happens. But um, I mean, as of now, uh, uh, as far as the trails go, it's not a a double standard, but there's kind of different rules for backpackers maybe than there are for um, people who aren't backpacking. And that's based on either the backpacking community or those uh, trail clubs uh, that are responsible for the different trail areas. So they may have a different set of rules um, from what, or guidelines than what the local area does. Mm-hmm. And is the AT still supposedly locked down for through hikers? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, I know locally that I go past a bunch of drop-off points and start points here and the AT is busy here. I don't know that they're necessarily through hikers, but I know there are hikers. The current stance from the ATC, if you go to their website, and I believe it's as of May 20th, I'm not 100% sure on the date, is that the AT is open for day hikes and for overnight hiking, but they have still specifically asked through hikers to stay off the trail. I, I I guess I find that kind of confusing. Did they give a specific rationale? The they're still worried about the transmission of COVID-19 and through hikers going in to resupply in towns and being asymptomatic carriers. Right. So it's the trek into town that they're worried about, not necessarily being out in the mountains. 
That is my impression of it, having read the statement. So, you, Rue, you talk about how this is kind of like a week-by-week -week operation. I want to push this question over to Layla. Talk about the week coming up. What do you have planned as the logistics coordinator? We just launched a YouTube channel last week, so we are going to be loading up some more YouTube videos for that. Rue's going to be getting back on the trail, so we will need to be looking at where that next resupply point is going to be. So it's looking at the map and taking a guess on that. So I will eventually have to get a box together and get that out in the mail. I always do daily posts on our Facebook page. We have an Instagram account now, so I'm trying to post to that. That is most of my day-to-day -day routine, is making sure that our community on Facebook and our new community on Instagram and our extremely new community on YouTube are kept up to date with that. And then it's answering emails. We just heard from our merchandise partner that our merchandise is about to come in, so I will have to tackle that and getting out all our new merchandise to everyone. For right now, I think that's everything that's on my list for the week. And it's also just keeping up with Rue and making sure that he's doing okay and there's, if there's anything else that we need. Hey, can, sure. can you tell us again where, where you started, where you've been, uh, close to where you are now, how much more you have to go? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so I started in Bend, Oregon, which is my home. Um, of course, I'm originally from Franklin County, uh, but I've called Bend, Oregon home for a couple years now. And I left right from town. And the Pacific Crest Trail is just west of town, and I started heading south. Um, I'm a Pacific Crest Trail through hiker, so I was familiar with that terrain. I did take like a couple of um, different routes um, just to explore possibilities of maybe future tread for the American Perimeter Trail. And I headed down to Southern California. I thought at that point in time I would start cutting east. But, in, but instead, I decided to kind of loop back up north again through California, up through the tip of Nevada, across the Hoover Dam, over to the Grand Canyon, down the Arizona Trail towards the Mexican border. Then I followed that into uh, through New Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico, and over to El Paso, Texas, across Texas, across Louisiana, Mississippi, and then to Alabama, and continued up the uh, Penhody Trail. Um, through the Appalachians. That's where I picked up the Appalachians, the southern, the most southern Appalachians. Okay, and so you were in Alabama when we last talked to you, and so now you're probably around the halfway point, I guess, or? I'm, I'm further than that, so I guess, yeah, when I last spoke with you, I was like right on the border of Alabama and Mississippi, so to get out of Alabama, that was still hundreds of miles away to get into Tennessee. Yeah. So at this point in time, like, I've done most of the work. I'm over 10 months into this, and um, I should be done in like another four months or so. I should be back in Oregon. So it's kind of a it's right. kind of fast uh, hop across the northern uh, part of the United States back to the West Coast. And then when I get to the West, uh, to the West Coast, it's not that far for me to get back, maybe two weeks to get back home. Okay. And so you were, uh, where were you, and where will you be dropped back off to start hiking again? Yeah, so I'm going to be dropped back off near the West Virginia-Pennsylvania border. And, you know, like, I always struggle with this. Like, I don't give people my exact location. Um, and that's just, 
for like safety reasons, we've kind of decided to do that over the course of the entire trip. But um, essentially like there's a couple of Allegheny trails or Allegheny passages that come up into that part of the state. And that wasn't my intention. My intention was to use a start on an Eastern route, like of the Appalachians, like on the Appalachian trail, cut over to the Western to check out some of those trail sections and then cut back over to the Eastern side of the Appalachians so that I could come home in Franklin County. But with those trail systems all being closed, it wasn't viable for me to do that. So I, I basically am like uh, closer to Pittsburgh than I am to Franklin County at this point in time. Is there way out in Western PA? That's right. Yeah. And that's it. Like I said, it wasn't my choice. The choice was kind of made for me. Mm-hmm. On one of the other interviews I was listening to, you did, you talked about something I found pretty fascinating. You talked about microcultures on the trail. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I want to be sensitive here because I, uh, first of all, I'm not an anthropologist and, and, and it's just like my anecdotal observations and I also don't want to. I also don't want to make it look like I'm looking down on people or like observing their culture really from the outside. Because I, when I travel through these parts or these places, I become part of that culture as well as I, while I'm there. Unfortunately, over the last two and a half months, I haven't because I haven't had any human inter- interaction. Mm-hmm. But what I meant by that is that it wasn't you know, necessarily, I think a lot of times when people think about diversity, you know, we talk about our ethnic backgrounds. And what I found throughout the United States was that um, regardless of race, there were all these different kind of micro climates of culture where you could almost, I think, draw like an anthropology map of the United States and section out these different regions that wouldn't, um, they would cross state lines. So it wouldn't be like the people in this state or this way and the people in this state. A lot of the times the geography, um, um, not that it defines, but that it informs the culture. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we find this in a lot of states where there's a huge difference between either North and South or East or West. Like for instance, in Oregon, we have a huge divide. So on the left, on the left, on the west side of the divide, it's very rainy. There's a ocean. So that kind of informs, and there's a lot of logging that informs that culture. And then on the east side, it's very dry and desert and a lot of ranching. And so um, I, just, I, I just find it, I just have found it fascinating how the geography absolutely not only informs the culture, but the history of what happened there. Just oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, the type of people, you know, the, the immigration often was designed towards the land. Oh, completely. Yeah. And this was one of the nice things that I would encourage people to explore, just having, you know, spent a lot of time on the Appalachian Trail over the years, because I wasn't just a through hiker. I mean, I spent a lot of time hiking the, many of those states multiple times. And um, what I found on the Western side was coal country and also uh, logging and railroad country, Mm -hmm. which has a very rich heritage there. 
And uh, you can see the scars in the land and you can also see photos from 1903 where there was absolutely no forest at all. It had been completely deforested and logged out and now there's beautiful forest there. So, um, and I mean, you'll find that there in Franklin County as well, where there was areas where they were pulling timber for charcoal. And the scars are in the people too. Yeah, yeah, well put, well put. So talk about some of the things that make this pursuit so worthwhile to you. You know, we, we understand, well, we understand to whatever extent we can about the dehydration and shoes that are wet for days and the suffering. But let's get into some of the bliss that you enjoy while you're out there. So what I, what I would say about that is it's been uh, challenging for me over the last several, I mean, several months. And uh, I, I came across this before on trails where there is something about isolation, not isolation for a weekend or for a week or going out and spending some time to yourself to reflect, but there's something about isolation over a long period of time that in any human being, and I've done some reading on this because it's been important, that does cause anxiety and depression and physical effects, and, and no one escapes it. Um, right. And so I've experienced some of that, and I've also noticed that um, some of these places are very worth seeing, but they're, uh, they're worth seeing with someone else or being able to share it with someone else. And I've had very limited outputs in that way. I have never seen so many beautiful scenic rivers and waterfalls of what I've seen over the last couple weeks. I mean, hundreds of cascades, wild boars. I, I, I've only ever seen them a couple of times and, uh, and they attack and that, that was fun. I mean, I <laughs> kind of make your day interesting. Wait, they um, attack you? Yeah, I mean, they just, I, I, they're kind of aggressive. What happened? Tell the story. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know the story. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I had one day where, uh, okay, so I ended up going into hypothermia drill, and I can explain some of that, or we can leave that aside, but um, I went into hypothermia drill later this afternoon because the conditions had been horrible for quite a while, and it was, you know, hovering in the 30s and pouring rain um, just all night, all day. And yeah, that's, that's dangerous weather. It was very dangerous. And so I was getting to the point where I just like wasn't sure if I was just going to have to call it for the day or not. And I saw something big and black in the distance and I assumed it was a black bear. I saw like kind of its haunches and um, I just like approached up during this storm because uh, I kind of wanted to get a look at it. And then I saw it and realized it was like a boar. I don't know how much it weighed, maybe 150 pounds or something like that. And that's a huge animal. Uh, no, it's a huge, I mean, it, it was, yeah, I mean, it's just as big as me, I guess, but stronger and um, angrier. Yeah, angrier. So, so I saw it kind of looking and like smelling and I was like, it'll just take a minute and it'll realize I'm here, even though I wasn't making noise, it'll catch my scent. But I didn't know because the storm was so bad. And then I realized it had piglets with it. And um, it just, it was, it was really incredible because it, there was no hesitation. As soon as it turned its head and it saw me, it, it, there was no thought. It was all instinct. It just came straight for me. I mean, just bolted at me at like 20 miles per hour. 
as fast oh. as if it could, just like it, it was just coming for me. And so um, I was like, oh, it, I wasn't expecting that. And so I uh, raised my voice, you know, got ready for a fight and uh, was able to get it to back off. And then it ran off with the piglets. So, so you stood your ground with this animal full charge. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, <laughs> I wasn't going to outrun. I wasn't going to outrun it. But I mean, I have to tell you, Pete, like, listen, I'm not a tough guy. It's just, I mean, I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I, I've had, I, I haven't had a lot of contact with boars, but I've had contact with hundreds of bears. So, and I've had them charge and I've had them run off and I've had them run up a tree and I thought we were good and then it came back down and we weren't. I mean, there's been a lot of situations like that. I mean, uh, also I wanted to tell you, I was advised to carry an air horn with me at all time because I was traveling through the Southern United States and I had dog conflicts all the time. I didn't carry an air horn, but I think that would have been useful. Yeah. So I mean, as, as far as speaking about like dangerous animals, um, dogs were a serious issue in the south and just even, running loose in the woods just feral animals um yeah so you'll have i've had that before in uh, alabama and off the Pinhoti, where there'll just be like packs of them oh and they just come out of nowhere but then also what i'm talking about is like having to piece together some of these routes often i would have to jump onto like some road like some county road um, or even a dirt road and be walking down it and there would be houses like off in the woods and the dogs would hear you and they would just come running from wherever. Wow. Yeah. Are you taking any precautions with animals like uh, having a little bell that jingles while you walk to alert wildlife that you're coming? You know, I, I just, I often like have, have um, I often have a sense about it. Like if I'm coming into an area, I can usually sense something isn't quite right. And I think it's probably a scent. Um, in the past week, there were definitely times where I smell, I smelled an animal. So then I would just be like, Hey, you know, let them know I was here. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, there were times where I could smell them and um, I would just let them, let them know I'm around. In the past I have carried bear spray but the, I usually only carry that in grizzly country. And I, I probably will carry that when I get to Glacier in Montana. When I get to Montana, I'll probably have some bear spray with me. Yeah, it, does, it sounds like an encounter with that animal is to be avoided at absolutely all costs. Yeah, I hope so. But I mean, that's not really the way it works. <laughs> right. They're out. It's, it's their home, you know. And, and, and you just, I mean, a lot of the times you just try to let the animal know you're there if you have a sense that something's there. And mm -hmm. Yeah, and if they're not hungry, they'll leave you alone. Well, but if they're hungry. Um, so you mentioned that you cover about 20 miles a day. Is, that's that, is that the standard you like to live by? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the standard. So like hit 20 and then something plus, and then like some days I feel good. So I'm just like, well, I'll, I'll walk 30 today. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the standard. Then that, that kind of makes th sense for things to keep moving. So, and about I'm, how many hours of walking is that? It just really depends. What I find interesting is that sometimes I'm on very easy terrain 
and it takes me all day like from it takes me 12 hours or 13 hours or 14 hours and other times i'm on very difficult terrain and since i'm so engaged you know like with my trekking poles and i'm like having a lot of movement i'm actually moving through faster i think it's because i get bored sometimes on the other train and i just kind of mosey well sure i mean just depending on your mood and your motivation and where you are that makes sense yeah i'm looking on your website and you have an interesting thing about backcountry skill set interpret yes. a map and interpret a compass yes. what does that mean yeah so essentially what that means is you start from the very basics so you're able to like determine with a compass cardinal direction and then uh, relay that to your map. So basically what you're taking is a 3D world around you and then interpreting that with a two-dimensional map. And then the um, compass is kind of what allows you to have the third dimension. So you take the two-dimensional map and you can turn it into a three-dimensional tool by having another point. The compass essentially just works as a GPS. If you can pick out, you know, a GPS, if it can pick up three satellites, it can triangulate and tell you where you're at. Mm -hmm. When you look at a map and you can pick out three different landforms or markers and you're able to interpret the directions of those, that will also tell you where you're at. So like, for instance, if you had three different landmarks and you drew a line across your map, um, taking bearings from a compass, where those lines intersect, the three of them, that's where you're standing. So if you're lost, that's one way to get found. But then, I mean, at basic map skills, it's essentially just being able to orient yourself to the map. And when you look at the map, um, being able to see, like when I look at the map, I don't see, um, I don't see a two-dimensional piece of paper. I see a three-dimensional landscape. But that's taken like years to, you know, to have that process of being able to build that into my mind. So, um, and, and the reason that is, is because I, I just, I don't use a GPS. I mean, I um, keep in mind when I threw hikes, uh, when I triple crowned, we didn't have smartphones and we didn't carry cell phones and we didn't have apps and we didn't have map apps and we didn't have all of these things. So, you know, I mean, even some of the calculations as far as like maybe counting calories or, you know, specifics like that, it's just not an, it's not something I can't do, but it's just something that I've never really done over the years. So I, I, I guess I tend to do things the way that I've always done them. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. It's, it's worked in the past. Also, like, you know, um, with the methodology that I picked out, I'm not always able to charge my electronics. So that just being a cell phone. So it was really important for me to not be reliant on any of that. So I had paper maps and a compass with me. Have you ever been lost? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no. so that's when you have to, I mean, how, what is that moment when you're, you think you're headed somewhere and it turns out you're not and all of a sudden you don't know where you are? What, what's your, what are your instincts tell you at that point? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's something that if you do it, I, I mean, I can remember being like back and earlier backpacking of mine and that being a very big stress point and um, very worrisome. And if you're with people, 
it can turn into a blame game. Like, oh, yeah. I thought you were keeping track of where we were, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But as time goes on, it's like, I have to backtrack and do stuff all the time. I didn't, a couple weeks ago, I didn't have the right maps. And I got into a section where the trail just was gone. I mean, it hadn't been maintained in 20 years. And then I was doing guesswork. I mean, I was just doing straight up guesswork. I didn't have any phone service and I just guessed. I was like, this mountain ridge goes over this way, this goes down this way, this probably makes the most sense. I bet you I'll pick up a trail if I head down through here. Just like a ton of guesswork. But I mean, as far as the anxiety around it, I, I don't really get that anymore. And if I have to backtrack, it's like, I've been out here for over 10 months. Like I'm not in that big of a hurry. I can backtrack, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. I know a lot of people have told me like that would ruin their day or they would just quit because that, that would get old. But a lot of the time I don't look at it as being lost because I'm making the route. So it's like, no, this is just, <laughs> this is part of the route now. <laughs> yeah, this is it. I didn't get off trail. I'm not off route. I'm just going in this direction. Yeah, it's like they say, it's a feature, not a bug. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we're just about out of time, but I want to give you guys a chance to plug all your social media, your website, and to anyone listening, I'm sure you're taking donations, so why don't you go ahead and give that to us? So you can find usually the most up-to-date information on where Rue is and what is going on on our Facebook page, which is American Perimeter Trail Project. You can make donations direct on our website, americanperimetertrailproject.weebly.com. You can follow along with us on Instagram. You can follow Rue at Rue McHenrick. You can follow myself, Layla Grace Adventures, and you can follow American Perimeter Trail Project there. And then we have recently just launched the YouTube channel as well, which is American Perimeter Trail Project. We do have... Got, go ahead, I'm sorry. We do have an Amazon wish list. And there's links to that on the Facebook page as well as the website. And that is how we are doing resupply for Rue is through the Amazon wish list. Okay. And you guys have uh, t-shirts you just put out, right? We do. We had a store up and we are done with pre-orders and we'll have shirts up for sale again probably in about a month. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Listen, thanks both for joining us today. Uh, Rue, keep the faith out there. Yeah, Pete, I want to say something too real quick. Just... You know, I'm bombed. I, I wanted to come see you guys. I really did. It's just completely out of my hands. So I hope to come back in December. We'd love to have a chat with you. Love to meet you in person. Great. You're good. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And find us online at progresspod.org. Thanks for listening.